Hey guys, welcome back to episode 3. My name is Samantha. And I'm Ash. And this is the Sam and Ash Experience. Thank you so much for joining us. Y'all have no idea the trouble we've had. Don't know the trouble we... Mm. <laughs> but it's Jesus. worth it and I hope that this episode will be worth it for all our hard troubles and heartache. First of all, we just want to thank all our family and friends who have supported us this week and shared our podcast information and liked it y'all mean the world to us because you have no clue we've been thinking about doing this for about at least three years so it's very heartwarming to see that we have so much support yes a special shout out to a good friend of mine steven he was the first person that believed in our cause and donated our mic and now we have two mics so we are ready to go and hopefully the sound is getting better all right so Today, we have a Sam exclusive. Watch out. Watch out. <laughs> Sam is actually, uh, we both heard about this case. I actually heard it from YouTube. Listen, we watch the same thing, so. Pretty much. <laughs> so, I've seen this on YouTube and I thought it was like absolutely just, it blows my mind because I'm like, she was old and just killing folks off. <laughs> but Sam chose Nanny Doss, the giggling granny. Let's jump right in, shall we? And roll that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to trademark that, guys. Just wait. <laughs> Nanny Doss was born in Blue Mountain, Alabama in 1905 as Nancy Hazel to parents James and Lou Hazel. Nanny was the oldest out of five children. They had one boy and three girls. She was always a smiling and very sweet child that's the reason they called her nanny growing up on the farm it wasn't easy she was a poor student who never really learned to read and write well because they had struggled for money her father ended up making her stop and take care of her brother you know the other children to and help on the farm her father was a strict and controlling man who would often abuse her. He would have forbid his wife and daughters from wearing makeup and going to social events because he was quote unquote trying to protect them from local men. Whatever, he was just a little drunk. <laughs> Right. But in reality, he just wanted to keep his family under his thumb. Even if it was his intent to uh, keep them protected, it really didn't work because Nanny would later reveal that local men would rape her several times when they came to the farm. And I'm like, what local men? It's just, is it just people that her dad knew? Just random, just random men or? Yeah. Well, she would never go into detail about who or how many times it happened. No, she should have did. She should have. Right. But she would say that she would tell her father and he either didn't believe her claims or simply just didn't care. He more than likely just didn't care. Right. So because of this, Nanny would dream about someone coming in and saving her and taking away from all of the pain that she's been in. Um, she would lock herself in the room with her mother's romance novels and magazines, allowing her imagination to create a world where she could just truly be loved instead of mistreated like she was. And this would later fill her darker desires later now. Trashy romance novels. Unrealistic. Expectations. <laughs> Expectations yeah. of love. Right. So, while most of her personality was changed later in life by her upbringing, there were also some physical changes that happened as well. When she was about seven, taking a train to visit relatives in southern Alabama, the train suddenly stopped causing Nanny to hit her head on a metal bar in front of her seat. Um, it wasn't really told why they stopped suddenly, but they had just stopped suddenly. Maybe it was a cow. 
It was in Alabama. Like a random, a random cow. cow yeah. <laughs> but for years after, she suffered severe headaches, blackouts, depression, all that. She later blamed these on her mental instabilities. No, she's just crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Growing up, she had always dreamed of finding a man of her dreams, but unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, when she was 16, her father pressured her into marrying a guy named Charlie Braggs. Which is never She again. was 16. 16 she's yeah. just still a baby. Still, yeah. But back then, the times were different. That's anyway, true. she met him while working in a linen thread factory where they had both at work and started dating. Her father was worried that Doss would get pregnant out of wedlock, causing Charlie to leave her unwed with the baby. So he made them get married. You know, he had all the other mouths to feed. He really wasn't sad about seeing her go because that was her husband's problem now. That's what says. Like, she's just a baby. She is literally, she's still growing up. And right. you're going to make her get married at 16? Like, I mean, back, it sense. was the turning of the time. Like, people got married and raised kids at that age all the time. Well, yeah. And I know, like, in the 1800s, like, if, yeah, you this was did, if you didn't get married by a certain time, you were considered an old hag. Right. You were basically, <laughs> this was basically in the beginning of 1900. So, if Nanny thought that she would get her happily ever after, she quickly found out that she was wrong. She was just trading one commanding figure in for another in her mother-in-law. Okay, I have, I have one thing to say. Do you know what song I have stuck in my head right now? Because <laughs> you said about the trashy romance novels. What? Where have all the cowboys Oh my god. <laughs> it's better than the song that I had because I was thinking Lady Gaga Bad Romance. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Now that that's stuck in my head. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just In her own words, uh, she later stated, I was married as my father wished in 1921 to a boy I had only knew for four or five months, who had no family, only a mother who was unwed, and who had taken over my life completely when we were married. She never seen anything wrong with what he had done, but I could never do anything right. She wouldn't even let my own mother stay all night. That's stupid. Like, okay, this is my house. Right. I understand that you're living with me. Like, if you're, this is my thing. If you're living with me, you have to pretty much go by my rules because this is my house. Right. You can't tell me that my own mama cannot stay with me right. all night. That's stupid. Right. Bragg's mother took up a lot of his attention and prevented Nanny from doing a lot of things she wanted to do. And Charlie wasn't any help. Despite fathering four children with Nanny in quick succession, routinely unfaithful to her, shattering her imperfect image of Prince Charming. Which, I mean, I doubt that that would happen at 16 years old, you know? I'm telling you. Um, under a lot of stress, Nanny took to drinking and excessively smoking to deal with everything. Chain smoking. <laughs> Six Newports a day. Six packs of Newports a day. Chicken slip. <laughs> <laughs> Bragg's often disappeared for days on end in her early 1927 and they had lost their two middle daughters to what was suspected as quote-unquote food poison so on one of his benders he leaves and he comes back and um, his two daughters were at home just writhing in pain and crying soon after they ended up passing away he had suspected that 
Nanny had done something, but he didn't know for sure. So he took his oldest child and got the hell out of Dodge. Right. And left the youngest in Nanny's care. Later he would tell the reporters that when she got mad, he wouldn't take anything from her. If she tried to hand him drinks or food, which probably smart. But they don't know if he was just saying that to garner attention, knowing what she had done before, or if this is what he really thought. So, Nanny's first two victims were actually her two children. She never revealed why she killed her middle children, because um, from what we could find, she received little to no money. So it was kind of like senseless. What they could suspect or speculate is that she had done it to gain support from other people. Kind of like the Munchausen syndrome, mm -hmm. like making your kid sick or losing a kid, you would garnish all like the sympathy. She wanted that love and attention and sympathy. And honestly, she just wanted to get back at him for him running around on her. And it was just a power move because she felt powerless at this point, which was sad. No child should ever be a chess in somebody's game. Yeah, it shouldn't be a pawn in anybody's game. No, not at all. Charlie boy. Oh, Charlie boy. Returned a year later with a new girlfriend and his daughter in tow. And Same. guess what? And I would have bought Charlie on site. Right. <laughs> and right. his girl. Right. Stating that he would give back their daughter if she would sign for divorce. Which is kind of messed up because he already suspected that she had killed her other two children. Not only did he leave his infant child in her care, but he was like, you know what? I found this old broad and I'm done here. So you can have her back if you just sign this divorce. I'd be like, first of all, knuckle up. <laughs> <laughs> Because first of all, you did, I understand we was on bad terms, but let me tell you something. Don't take my child and then just give her back. Right. And then give her. Life <laughs> with you was not all sunshine and roses. It surely all. was not. So guess what? Ma'am, I don't know what your name is. I don't even <laughs> care. But just know he's sorry. And I know he probably cheating you right now, but baby, just wait till he the ring on it. <laughs> right. It's going to be a flip of the switch. So, Braggs was the only husband to leave Nanny alive. To put it in perspective. Uh, you know later on he was like, whoo! <laughs> so, whoo, I dodged the bullet <laughs> there! <laughs> Arsenic, God, literally. He leaves and she's raising her two kids on her own, you know, as a single mother, living and working in Anderson. Um, she would soothe her loneliness by reading true romances and um, she would also start pouring over the Lonely Hearts column. Da -da -da. The Lonely Hearts column was invented by Satan himself. I would believe so after our <laughs> cases that we've done so far. Anyway, so she would write men that were advertising there. And a particular man caught her attention when he started writing her poems and telling her that she was so beautiful and seemingly didn't care that she was a single mom with two kids. This man, his name was Robert Frank Harrelson. He was a 23-year-old factory worker from Jacksonville. They had met and married in, in 1829 when she was 24, two years after her divorce from Braggs. Wait a minute. I'm just like, wait right. a minute. Isn't it supposed to be 1929? Did I mess up? <laughs> oh, I sure hope it was. <laughs> Typo. 
let me read that over. <laughs> this man's name was Robert Frank Harrelson. He was 23-year-old factory worker from Jacksonville. They met and married in 1929 when she was 24 years old and just two years after her divorce from Bragg. They soon moved to Jacksonville with her surviving two children. Um, after a few months, she realized that her Prince Charming was more like a toad in person. All the poetry and praise was soon gone after he placed the ring on her finger. And I'm pretty sure that's not what Beyonce meant when she said, if you like it, you should have put a ring on it. No, that was not what she meant. <laughs> Once again, finding a song for every single thing that happened. Once again, she had a cheating alcoholic. It's hard yeah. not to feel sorry for her. It's, it's really hard not to feel sorry for her. But then you her. remember that she killed her two children. And you're like, but you're I, karma. But I feel like you deserve that. Right? If anything, he was even worse than her previous husbands because he had a record for abuse and would often beat her. Which, okay. I don't condone it all. So. I definitely don't condone it. But I mean, she killed her two children. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe one or two smacks of that. <laughs> that was open handed, not closed fist. <laughs> just kidding. We do not condone it once again. Disclaimer. Okay. Just remember. <laughs> she had stayed married to Frank for over 16 years, which is crazy, but I mean, she had two kids and. In the time, it was hard for a single woman to actually make it, so she felt like she had nowhere else to go. Also, during this time, you know, her daughters were getting older. Her oldest, Melvina, was actually married and pregnant with a child of her own. And she was the doting grandmother-to-be. She was excited about this pregnancy and was there the whole time. But the thing is... Nanny's own marriage was getting worse and worse by the day. Both her and her husband turned to alcohol to cope with the poverty they were dealt with. She had to do something crazy to get out of the situation she was in, but she didn't know what until she had the horrific idea to kill her grandson to gain money quickly. That is absolutely insane. Get a job. Get a job. It's not that hard. Be a typist. That was a big thing back then. Right. You know, just... I mean, she could have done anything. Anything. And it wasn't even her kid, you know? First of all, I love my parents, but if one of them was to took out an insurance policy for this child, that's a red flag. Definitely a red like, flag. Like, why are you taking an insurance policy out for my child? Right. If anything, I'm going to put insurance on my child plus me plus, you know, yeah. it's a family thing. Right. In case anything happens to and any one of us. And you might be like a point of reference or something. But exactly. You are not going to be the main, you know, carrier for this. But the insurance policy um, she took out was $500 at the time. And now that's about close to around $7,000 today. So it was a pretty good chunk of change for, you know, being a horrific person. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so she bided her time and waited for the perfect moment to strike, which was fairly easy because she babysat for her daughter and her daughter trusts her, you know, 100%. without doubt. One day when she was babysitting Robert, he had suddenly died from being watched by Nanny. And this death stumped the doctors. They really didn't know how the child had just suddenly passed away. So they later ruled it that he died from 
asphyxia or unintentional suffocation, which can be caused by many types of injuries or illnesses, such as seizures, drowning, or even being smothered by a pillow. Uh-uh. But nobody suspected Nanny, and it wasn't taken to the police. So what we did know is she collected that money about two weeks later. <laughs> she was like, well, old Robert gone. Let me go get this change. <laughs> right. While y'all are grieving, I'm going to run to the bank real quick. That's I'll be back. I'm going to go to the police. Um, like, Nanny, we just left the funeral. We got to go, you know, meet the people at the house for the casseroles. No, uh, no I'll be right back. <laughs> I'll go put this money in the bag real quick. Right? It's sad. Like, didn't even wait. Like, think, okay, you just lost your first grandchild, number one. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you will be devastated. devastated. But she's like, all right, I'm about to go put this check in the bank real quick. Right. I'll be right back. Like, what do you even, what goes through your head? I don't think anything at that point. It was just bacon just a little tumbleweeds just <laughs> <laughs> and here's the kicker a little after robert's funeral um people had said that frank stated i'll be next you be next frank you be next <laughs> <laughs> which actually might not have been true and this is a very big trigger warning so just be prepared um she never confessed to this but however her oldest daughter melvina later confessed that after she had given birth to her next child, she had thought she had seen her mother stick a hat pin into the baby's brain, causing the baby to suddenly pass away. I'm like, sick. what did that baby do to what, you? What, okay, what do the children do to you? That's with any child killer. Right. What do the children do to you? And what you? do you gain? And what do you, Nothing. like, do you get it, some type of satisfaction from it? That, you know, it's like, is it a power thing? I don't understand. Like, it's just something missing. It's just a, Especially since there's so many people out there that cannot have children and would love exactly. to take that child. Exactly. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Right. Like, we see so many children being killed and we're like, okay, if you don't want children. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. <laughs> I'll be, I'll, I will gladly take your baby. And if you're listening and you don't know what to do in a situation like that, you don't have to get rid of a child. You could take it to your local fire department. There's or a safe PR, haven. There's safe, safe haven laws. Yeah. You know, that's you know, why we have that. You're not going to be punished for dropping off your child. Just give it a chance. You know, please give it a chance at life. You know what I'm saying? Because they didn't ask for to be born to this world. You made that decision for them. Right. So if you ever, and I want y'all to listen good, if y'all ever don't want a child, please take it to a hospital. There's safe haven laws in place for such. You know, for such situations, right. give it up for adoption. There's a lot of adoption agencies who just take children and give them to, to people who desperately want children but right. can't have them. Stepping off our soapbox now. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> Little tangent there. Never hurt nobody. Right. Back on solid ground. All okay. right, let's go. <laughs> However, she never said anything because she figured that nobody would believe her because she was on pain medication. And she had just had her baby, so she was kind of groggy and out of it. But this is another one of her children that had died in the company of her mother. And that's sad. That's sad that you can't even trust your own children around your, around your mom. That's so... Ugh. Like, that's supposed to be the happiest time when you could actually time. see your mom with your grandchildren. I know, because I'm waiting for the day where I can actually see that, because I think my heart will be complete Right. once I see that. And then, you know, after a couple of times, you just throw the diaper bag and be like, See you, sucker! <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> 
I'll see you in about two days. months after Robert's death, America celebrated the surrender of the Japanese forces in World War II. And of course, Frank went out to celebrate. You know, we he at the happy, bar. He was know, excited. We at the bar turning up. It was good times for all. The war was over. He was drinking heavily. All was good until it wasn't. Right. Later that night, he would return home and rape Manny. So after years of being beat and abused many times, this was the last straw. Yeah, that that would have been the last straw. Right. The next morning, she found his whiskey jar laying in the front yard, and just added just a little just, bit of rat poisoning. Just topped it off. It's just, fine. You know, <laughs> we hate to see a glass half full, right? <laughs> And later that day, Frank died with symptoms eerily similar to Nanny's two deceased daughters. Do you like how I spell deceased? <laughs> when I'm typing fast, spelling goes out the window. <laughs> but since her daughter's death happened in her hometown and not Jackson, the police didn't catch on and ruled out that he died from natural causes. She left town soon after his death and the money was collected. <laughs> She's like, again, bye. <laughs> She's like, well, old Frank's dead. I'm going to put this check in the bank and I'm about to move. Right. Well, it taken her 18 years to kill her first five victims. The next, the next six would come in quick succession. Yeah, she wasn't playing now. Mm-mm. She was, she like, was you on know. a roll. Right. <laughs> okay. After Frank had died, she had traveled around, hopping place to place all over the South. Doss met her third husband while traveling in Lexington, North Carolina, only stopping to check the Lonely Hearts column. I'm sick of it. I'm done. I'm <laughs> sick and tired of it. Where she had met her new man. His name was Arlie Lanning. This is Arlie. His name was Arlie Lanning. And she married him just three days within meeting him through the Lonely Hearts call. That was a shotgun wedding. She wasn't pregnant. <laughs> but it was still a shotgun wedding. Right. You could just tell that at this point she was not in it for love. Like, she, she didn't all. care. She was just like, I need to find a man so I can have stability. Because she was running out of that money and she needed a new one. Mm, mm, mm. So, yeah. So after three years of... Uh, spent traveling without a husband to support her. Nanny must have been desperate for cash. So she would... Wait. Soon she would see the cracks in her Prince Charming. Arlie was just like the others. He might not have abused her, but he did drink and cheat on her regularly. She would spend a lot of time away from him, very reluctant to stay in a house with a, an emotionally abusive man yet again. She started thinking that Arlie was worth more dead than alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. At that point when you think that, just get out. Just please just leave. Just hop the fence and leave. Her relationship with Arlie was just about two and a half years, and it ended with his death in 1950. In what appeared to be heart failure. After a meal of stewed prunes and coffee. Listen. <laughs> If the diarrhea doesn't kill you first. Right. I don't know what would kill him 
first, the diarrhea or the arsenic. Oh Seriously. my god, the diarrhea doesn't kill you first, Jesus. Anyways, this was fed to him by Nanny. Arlie's illness started with what looked like the flu that was going around town. He had a fever, vomiting, stomach pain. But his conditions worsened after Arlie died. His conditions worsened and he soon died soon after. Arlie's doctor noted that he was an alcoholic in his condition. So they thought that his body was just too ravaged by the alcohol to had fight off the infection and they ruled his death a natural cause and no autopsy was performed but as he died Arlie seemed to realize what it caused it and according to Nanny his last words were it must have been the coffee or them prunes it must have been the nah he should say it must have been the prunes right <laughs> I don't know if he just thought there was something wrong with the coffee because that's what he just had they probably or if he, had he knew that she did something and was like, bitch, put something in my coffee. It was some prunes. Because <laughs> I bet you she put a double dose in them prunes. Ugh. But still nobody would consider a broken hearted widow. I know. I was trying to jump down and I, I lost my spot. <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to remember. Okay. Oh, Lord. Still nobody would consider a broken hearted widow as the killer because she had stayed by his side the whole time he was sick, playing the part of the doting wife. If they had been able to follow Nanny at the time, they would have seen similarities of her past husband and her two daughters before him. But they didn't know any of her past and the whole town surrounded Nanny during the funeral and the time after to give her love and support. However, even with husband number three dead, Nanny wasn't done taking every last bit of money as she could. Just a few days after the funeral, their house burned down. What? And the insurance money from that went to his recent widow. Had the house survived, it would have went to Arlie's sister instead. So she wanted that money. So now that her home was destroyed, she went to live with Arlie's mother soon after. Unfortunately, her generosity was her undoing. Arlie's mother died mysteriously just days after her son. And then, of course, Nanny, Nanny left town soon after. Just skip town. Like most of her other victims, no foul play had been suspected because of her age. And they literally just thought that she died of a broken heart because she had just lost her son. Mm, and mm -hmm. they didn't uh, know it until Nanny later confessed to her killing. So basically, Nanny said, well, oh, Arlie's dead. Might as well kill Margaret, too. <laughs> <laughs> just let me just uh, take her out, too. Let me get some get this extra change. Right. Well, there really wasn't a need to kill the mother. She was just trying to kind of uh, cover up her tracks and make sure that nobody questioned, like, the fire and him dying or anything. No, she was just trying to pad them pockets. That's all it was. Well, she didn't get anything after that, out of that. Whoops. Mm. Yeah. Never mind then. <laughs> so she was literally just trying to cover her tracks. Mm. It was useless in killing her. After this, she returned to her bedridden sister, Dovey. Although, it's natural to want to return to your family after a death of your loved one. But Nanny was no grieving widow. She was just the opportunistic killer. Mm, mm, mm. 
As soon as she heard her sister was dying of cancer, she found the window of plausible deniability she needed to kill again. For Nanny, the benefits of using arsenic was obvious because the symptoms of stomach pain and vomiting could be pinned on any numbers of causes, allowing her to shift her narrative and direct them into what she needed them to seem to get away with everything. Yeah, because um, if you have cancer, you, I mean, from the chemo and all that stuff, you're right. going to be throwing up. And... Right. You're going to be very sick. And of course, it makes her look like the doting sister, like I said, and get sympathy from everybody else because she's there to take care of her sister. Well played. Well played. <laughs> right. It's not known how long Dovey suffered in the hands of her sister. It could take weeks. It just depends on how much they used and if it was just a small amount of time. So her sister not only was dying from cancer, but just uselessly was being killed by her sister for nothing. For Well, for money and gain. But on top of all this, Nanny had only re returned to see her sister in her final days. She hadn't been there to support her sister in the last 30 years. So it's obviously, it's obvious that she was just there to collect the insurance money from her sister. That's so sad. You know, if any of my sisters were dying from cancer, God forbid, right. God forbid. Right. You know, I'm going to be with them from the first minute right. until their last minute. I'm not going to sit there and just be away from my sister for like 30 years. And I'm like, oh, you know what? My sister's freaking dying. Let me go and, and just take care of her real quick. Right, in her last days. In, in her last like, days. Like, I guess I should show up. Everybody expects me. I'm the oldest. Yeah. It's, mm-mm. Yeah. Like, I don't, mm, -mm. I, I like mean, that. I would do anything that needed. I would shave my head with them. Oh, yeah. I would give them blood if they needed it, transfusion, whatever they needed I would make sure that I was there to provide if I was able. In any case, Dovey didn't last long in Nanny's care and Nanny went back on the prowl for her next husband. She and didn't even wait stupid lonely hearts columns. Well this is the thing. Unable to wait for the perfect lonely heart column <laughs> guy, she wanted to widen her net and decided to sign up for a dating agency. Like that's gonna make it even Right. She thought that maybe going to an agency she could finally find a man that she could truly fall in love with. Or aka maybe she just realized that the more exclusive agencies are, uh, she would have a chance to find richer suitors who would leave her more of their assets after more of her assets that she can inherit after their untimely demise she was a gold digger she right? really she was a murderous gold digger right? which seemed to have worked because soon after in 52 she had met her next husband richard l morton from kansas oh richard at first he seemed to be a better husband than her first three not that that was a high bar in the first place but the first few months, Richard seemed almost good to be true. Almost too good to be true. <laughs> In fact, he was such a catch, wanted to introduce him to her family. And in 1953, she invited her mother to come visit with her and meet her new husband, which she had not done previously. Uh -uh. However, things didn't go as planned. Perhaps Nanny and her mother had a falling out, or she didn't get along with her new husband. Or, 
she just seized an opportunity to cash out on her mother's insurance policy. And only a few days into her visit with her mother, she started to complain of stomach pains and her condition quickly worsened. And just like that, her mother was dead. <sighs> to kill your own... To kill I your mean, own mama, though. It's what? obviously she has no She remorse has no remorse. Or conscience. No conscience. Because she went through her kids, her husband, her sister, and now, like, I could never, I don't even think I could hit my mother, much less, like, kill her or mm -hmm. want her dead. I, I mean, we I fight mean, sometimes, but. Yeah. I don't mean cousin for my mama. Right. I mean, yeah. I do. Love you, mom. Love you, mom. <laughs> right? Anyways, I guess now you do because she listens to the podcast. Hi, chocolate mom. Hi, vanilla mom. <laughs> Anyways off on a tangent once again <laughs> after her mom died unfortunately that didn't just mean that richard was safe if it had seemed richard was too good to be true that wasn't without reason after her mother's death she found out old richard was still seeing his ex-girlfriend on the side for three months whoopsie right and for three months after her mother's death richard died much in the same way he was like listen I'm not about to be the third wheel in this little relationship, so guess what? You got to go. Right. Here has this prune pie. Or... If the prunes don't kill you first. <laughs> if the diarrhea don't kill you first. Right. Okay, so even though there was a span of 16 years between the death of her first victim and her grandson Robert, by 1950s, Nanny's murders were grouped closer together. By the time of Richard's death, Nanny had killed five times in three years. Dang. And that's what you call an escalation. <laughs> However, her killing streak was about to come to an end. Her next victim would bring her 30 years of violent crime to its final conclusion. Oh, she's been killing for 30 years. Right? Lord. By 1953, Nanny was getting older. She was approaching her 50s already. And she was a grandmother. She had been married four times. Uh, by this point, eligible bachelors were getting harder and harder to come by. So it seemed like fate when she met Samuel Doss. And that's where she got Doss from. Right. I don't know if it was so much fate as it was a bad situation for him. It was a bad romance. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> Samuel, like Nanny, had recently lost his spouse. But unlike Nanny, Samuel actually lost his wife and nine children in a tornado that tore through their home in Arkansas. Aww. Yeah, it's That's very a, tragic. I couldn't even imagine. Lord, to have nine children. Nine children, right. Ugh, oh, so, so he actually fled to Oklahoma to escape his grief. But instead of finding someone who could turn his life around, he met Nanny. So, using her own husband's recent death to get close to Samuel, omitting the, you know, just a little bitty fact that she was the one that offed him, <laughs> grief-stricken Samuel found a kindred spirit in Nancy. The two were married in June of 1953, just months after meeting. Samuel was unlike her other husband. He wasn't an abuser, alcoholic, or a womanizer. He was instead a minister who couldn't stand the foolishness of romance novels, which we all know that Nanny just loved. And what was worse for Nanny, 
he was very controlling over their money, giving her little to spend on her alcohol and other stuff. Well, okay, I kind of get that. All right. In his mind, he's like, you know, I'm not about to feed your addiction. Right. You know, like, if you're going to... And he's a minister, so... Yeah, he's not going to feed her addiction. So, this, of course, it didn't sit well with Nanny. And she threatened to leave him if she if he didn't give her access to his money. But not only did she convince him to let her in his bank account, she also took two insurance two. policies. <laughs> right, one two insurance policies on him. With her new financing now in order, she moved on with her plan. And in September of 1954, she fed him one of her famous prune pies, and he soon fell ill with flu-like symptoms. The diarrhea was killing him. <laughs> but to her dismay, he actually got up and drove himself to the ER, <laughs> where he soon was treated and recovered. Can you imagine? She'd be like, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That didn't work as planned. That like, never happened before. Be like, well, shoot. <laughs> God bless. I did not expect that. She said, God bless. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, after he was released in October 5th, well, they said in September, and then he was released in October, so I don't know if it, how long, they didn't really say how long he was in there to recover, mm -hmm. but we do know that he was released on October 5th, and when he got home, Nanny was waiting on him with some coffee, like, come here, sugar, come have a seat, you look tired, have some coffee. <laughs> she really tried to push these prunes and coffee at folks. <laughs> I know it was a different time and maybe prunes were like popular back then, but I just don't know people that eat prunes like that. I'm telling you, she was like, I'm your pusher. <laughs> Trying to push this stuff on people. Right. Not all I can, because the only way I can think of prunes is in that little like candy wrapper. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yes. about? Where the, she's like over there just opening the little packages for him, like, here. <laughs> But it probably wasn't like that. She didn't want him to get away with, you know, getting up and taking himself back to the ER. She upped his dosage just a little bit. This time, she was making sure she put enough poison in it to make sure he she didn't make the same mistake. Samuel died later that evening because she was in a rush to collect the two insurance policies. The sudden death had alerted his doctor and he ordered an autopsy. But unfortunately, his next to kin had to sign a release form for this to be done. Setting yourself up for failure, 101. Right? And you would think that Nanny would object because she had poisoned her husband. And didn't want them finding out that she poisoned her right. husband. But she had gotten away from it so long. But she had gotten away with it for so long that she thought she was untouchable and smarter than everyone else. And if you can remember, she didn't go to school, so she wasn't the brightest. She was street smart. She wasn't book smart. Anyway, she wanted to play the part of the grieving widow because she knew that if her husband had died, of course she would want them to find out what happened. So she was just playing the part long enough for her check to be ready and so she could hit the road. Right, so she can bounce. Right. While doing the autopsy, it was found that, get this, Doss had enough arsenic in the system to kill 40-0 horses. And horses are big animals if right. you don't know that. <laughs> right. And I'm not talking the mini. I'm talking the full-blown stallions. Stallions. <laughs> so with all this arsenic in his system, all fingers pointed to Nanny. 
And another reason why she had gotten away with this so many times before is because she had established herself in the community with these men. She had been married to them for years. And this time she also made the mistake because she had just moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So nobody knew her. So when this happened, it was just like red flags. It was just like almost like a football game and they're just chunking just flags just everywhere. <laughs> like something is not right so she was promptly arrested after this the police wasn't quite sure what to make out of the widow dos she didn't seem to be grieving but she also didn't seem like a murderer she would laugh and tell jokes with the police as if they were best friends and she just seemed like the typical grandmother just harmless and just a sweet old lady but every time they would question her about her past she would dodge the questions. Like bullets. <laughs> right? They dove into her past and seemed to find a pattern. When they asked her about her husband, Richard Morton, her fourth husband, Nanny claimed, I don't know him, or the click he claimed. <laughs> <laughs> no, she just said that she didn't know him. They were finally able to catch her in a lie. They had a marriage certificate that proves she did. <laughs> <laughs> she just laughed and was like, well, I guess I didn't know him. I was just married to him. It's okay. At this point, the investigators had enough to charge her with murder, enough evidence. Once it became clear that she was going to go down for this, she agreed to give her confession on one condition. They returned the romance book that they took from her when she first got into Listen the to me. So I'll... Look, I'll tell you about it. All the 16,000 murders I done did. If you right. just give me my trash romance, <laughs> no, I'll go back. You know, rom with romance is life. <laughs> yeah, romance is life. Give me my Kindle Unlimited. I am good. Oh, my God. that is. There was this one guy. He was like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you everything you, you want to know. Just give me a cigarette and a Bible. And he just confessed to I was like, what? Right. Okay, so after they gave back her book, she confessed to everything. But not just the murder of Samuel Doss, but to her four husbands, her mother, her sister, her grandson, and even her mother-in-law. <laughs> Can you imagine thinking just one thing and here she is just spilling all this stuff and there was this one time and this other time, you know, just like blase about the whole thing. Can you see the detectives just sitting just back with, with a cigarette just hanging out their mouth <laughs> just just like that scene from jurassic park with that guy it's just like his cigarettes just dangling in the ashes <laughs> almost ready to fall that's what i picture in my head investigators were really shocked when this happened but they resumed the bodies and every victim had arsenic in their bodies oh wow in their systems yeah and people were shocked by someone and it was somebody townspeople had called the giggling granny and they couldn't believe that she could carry out all these heinous crimes with such lack of empathy her book meant more than knowing that then she had killed all these people yes her her trashy romance novels meant more to her than the, the lives, lives of all of her family. family. Not just her husband, but her family. Like family, family. Yeah. Um, not only did she confess to killing innocent members of her own family, she laughed when she did it. That's, she's a complete psychopath. Yeah. Right. So on May 18th of 1955, Nanny pleaded guilty to Sam's murder. And the whole time, she was only sentenced for Sam's murder. I don't know why. I guess 
maybe they just didn't need to because they just had I mean, it. really, it was jurisdictional. Yeah. Because you know, some of them were done over here, yeah. some, and then did also statute of limitations run, right. run out. You only yeah. get what five years? Something like that. I think it's like five or seven years for murder. So I was like, oh, I thought to my, I lied. No, that's all. Yeah, that, that's unlimited. infinite. Yeah, that's infinite, but it's still jurisdictional. Yeah, since they but, had her there. But they didn't go for the death penalty, which she actually wanted, because back then they didn't do that to women. So, but the funny thing is, she while she was leaving, she told her daughter, "Take it easy. Don't worry. I'm not." What? The? <laughs> she Such was a just freaking. So she's so nonchalant. Like you literally kill all these people. Uh, I found this little interview. And that she had given to the Sarasota Herald Tribune in 1957. And it was uh, two years after. And it was two years after she had been in prison. And she told him, and she told them, Time passes slowly here in prison. Behind my smile, there's a heavy heart. I've always made people think that I was happy even though I wasn't. My daughter is ill in North Carolina and that worries me. I should be by her side nursing her back to health. I just lost my will to live, you know? While I was in here, I had two mild heart attacks, but not the ones that would keep me down. Maybe the Lord will take me soon. And they asked her, is there anything you look forward to, Miss Doss? And she said, well, I attend church here every Sunday. My last husband was a minister, you know? And I work in the prison laundry. It's the only place they allow me. When they get short in the kitchen, I always offer to help. But they never allow me to work there. And then she started giggling. <laughs> Gee, I wonder. And just to give you, like I said, I don't really need to go in depth about her. Because I'm pretty sure you can paint a picture about what kind of woman she is but it was said in 1953 a large crowd gathered around the courthouse when you're at a courthouse you're used to seeing killers and you said and don't do it picture sicily 1920s <laughs> <laughs> anyways so when the killer is let out by the cops the reporter bursts into question the killer smiles happy with all the attention and all that that's garnered to her so she smiles wide with a charming smile starts to laugh a little she doesn't look like your normal serial killer but your run-of-the-mill southern granny one reporter speaks up and yells why did you do it why did you kill your husband miss doss in which she replies well that's simple darling he got on my nerves that's my apply for everything that's simple. That's almost like the end of Gone with the Wind. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Anyways, I love this one. I just thought it was so weird that she got away with it for all the years. And then she was so nonchalant. Right. She was like, it's like, like she was no nonchalant about it. Like, it was freaking... I'm about to cook Sunday dinner or something. Right. And it was like, not only was she not even empathetic or whatever, but she would laugh Why? gosh, you're a freaking psychopath. Right. So I found a lot of my information on Murderpedia, which I love that place. Like if I ever hear something, I'm always like sleuthing through the internet, trying to find more information about stuff. And on this, 
website. I don't know if it's real or not. I think it's just like a little comedy thing. Uh, not that it's funny, but it's kind of funny. It's more dark humor that we're into. It's a recipe for Nanny Doss's uh, prune pie. <laughs> And it's called Recipe for Death. And it's literally like telling you how to make it. It's like time approximately 45 minutes. It tells you uh, what the oven temperature should be. It tells you like the ingredients including five tablespoons of rat poisoning. It tells you at the end to put sugar on the top of the crust. It's like, come on. And then at the end it was like guaranteed to be a, a real man pleaser. A real man pleaser. It the diarrhea doesn't kill right? you. <laughs> question mark, question mark. <laughs> okay, so I hope y'all enjoyed it. I know it was a long one, but y'all have to admit that was pretty good. She was a trip. And a complete psychopath. Right. And it's kind of like, it makes you wonder, like we have this big conversation all the time about nature versus nurture. Did the events in her life cause her to do this? Like with the torment of her father, all the abuse from her husband, you know, hitting her head at that young age. Because they say, you know, if you have a certain trauma, depending on where it is, it could change like your whole personality. Or was she just freaking batshit crazy? <laughs> Like, you don't know. And that's the whole thing. It's just like, why? Why do these people do what they do? And it's just like, we'll never know. So. The world will never know. <laughs> but, I mean, that gives us a job to look at. I would rather not have any job. But, I mean, if it's going to be there, you can depend on your girls to cover it. But, but we's about to get out of here. Yes, because it is late and I have to be at work early in the morning. She has to wake up at the witching hour. With the witches. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I can sleep in tomorrow a little bit. Ugh. But we hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or want to leave us any love notes or just tell us encouraging words like keep going or we loved it or even you know listener tells which we love or recommendations just send us send us an email or join us on instagram which is sam and ash exp podcast at gmail.com and instagram is sam and ash underscore exp underscore podcast yes and that's where you can find us and thank you for joining and we will see you next episode Bye! Bye!